giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and I'm here today with my buddy Derek. Hey, Derek. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am. I'm good. I'm in a unique state of mind. Yeah? Yes. Change is in the air? Change is in the air. That mm-hmm. is what this episode is going to be about. So I alluded to this last week that I had some news to share. Yep. And here is the news for everyone. Uh, I am leaving ThoughtBot. Um, <laughs> it's been six years. It's been just about. It's been six amazing years. Uh, but I've decided it is time for me to strike out on my own and try uh, doing my own thing for a bit. I'm not sure, honestly, if I'm going to like it or if I'll be any good at it, but I do feel pretty sure that I have to try it. The way I've been putting it to people recently has has been, I know I want to try running my own company before I die, and I don't know when I'm going to die, so I'm going to try running my own company now <laughs> and see how it goes. Sound logic, sound logic. <laughs> yeah. And, and timing-wise, it, it feels good. Um, I am single, I have no kids that I'm aware of. <laughs> so it's kind of like, if this does crash and burn, it hurts no one but me. Yep. Uh, I'm reasonably employable, so if it doesn't work, I can fall back on the job market, and that's fine too. Yep. But it, that feeling had been kind of building in me for a while, and tried some things here and there, and it just kind of felt like, at the end of the day, I was like, I, th- I think I just need to, to try this. I just need to make this change mm-hmm. and, and then and see what happens. Yeah, was there a moment when you knew that you wanted to do this, or was it a slow build? It was definitely a slow build. Yeah. MicroConf helped, I would say. Mm-hmm. Un- not shockingly, when I was floating this idea to friends of mine at MicroConf, who are mostly like bootstrap entrepreneur types, I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about doing my own thing. And everyone's like, yeah, dude, definitely. It's like, <laughs> of course, like as, as you of might course. expect from that, from that group. So I think that helped me over the line. But I would say it's definitely been a slow build. It's not that mm-hmm. I've been unhappy, but I have had that growing sense of maybe it's just time for this. Like maybe I, I, I like big change and I like new things. And I had been thinking like, okay, do I, I either need to do some sort of big change at ThoughtBot or there's also this other big scary unknown over here, which is maybe the big change is like, is, is that I'm not going to be a ThoughtBot. So I gave my notice. I talked to Chad uh, last week mm-hmm. uh, and um, announcing by the time this goes out, uh, everyone at ThoughtBot will know, although technically everyone does not know at this point, but it's, it's going to be public news quite soon. You've been at ThoughtBot for five years, you said? Yeah, actually, so it'll be six in like a couple more weeks. Six, okay. So that had to be a that had to be a tough conversation. How did that go? Uh, it actually went really well. So Chad sort of said he understood. He was like, mm-hmm. "It's disappointing, but I I get it," I, and that's kind of what I expected. Like I I, I didn't expect him to be super surprised. Yeah. Thoughtbot in general has always been super flexible about letting me work on the things that excite me and yeah. have ability to sort of design my own job, uh, and so. I think maybe he was a touch disappointed that I didn't want to try to work more within that framework, but mm, mm-hmm. it's just, which I, I get, but it also, it just, it just felt like it was, it was time to try the full thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, response has been, has been pretty good. Like it's, and it's great. Like we, uh, we were just talking today and like, it, it feels like we still have the same good relationship. And so, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's disappointing, but I think, I think everyone involved understands. It's a good feeling to know that you, you know, obviously have not burned any bridges and it's you making progress, I think, in your, in your journey. So it's, man, I got to say, I'm super excited for you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really yeah. excited too. I don't think I can tell how it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. 
Like I wouldn't pre- try to predict what's how it's going to go or what's going to happen, but it feels to me like this increases my luck surface area, where mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm trying to be really aggressive about reaching out to people and talking to people and meeting folks, and I think it's likely that I like there will be a a good outcome from this that is not what I'm anticipating. Like it just it yeah. f- it feels like this is in the right direction, and I bet I meet someone along the way, or a company, or something clicks in some way that I can't anticipate right now. But I just feel optimistic about it working out <laughs> pretty well. Well, I think that's the right attitude to have because if there's one thing I've learned in any entrepreneurial journey is that you cannot even predict what's going to happen in 60 days, probably. You know, right. <laughs> you can have plans, you can test things in the market, you can validate things, but really it's going to come from from trying stuff, you know? And totally. um, I would love to hear more about uh, some of your some of your next steps. Totally. So I have two things that I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to do and I'm going to work on. So there's roughly kind of like a two-phase plan mm-hmm. here. And then, like you said, predicting even 60 days out is uh, difficult. And so yep. who knows? It could be that by the time people even hear this episode, these have changed. Sure. But maybe not. So I asked myself, what is a good first couple things to try to do? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who said this. It may have been Justin Jackson. But it was something along the lines of, it's easier to build a product for your audience than an audience for your product. Mm. And I, I think I already have a bit of an audience that trusts me on two-ish things. One, mm-hmm. or, or knows me as someone that cares about and thinks about and has experience in two things. You are smiling because I, I think you know these things. Uh, so one is <laughs> SaaS pricing. Bingo. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and the other is Vim. Double bingo. Yeah. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> so yes. given that I already have some momentum in those areas, what kind of products could I make for the, the people uh, in that audience. Mm-hmm. So before I made this move, or like all along, I've been saving money just because like I'm a fairly diligent saver, I guess. And I was just kind of like, I don't know yeah. when I'm going to need this money, but I figure it's better to have a pile of money than account anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. And then eventually I figure it out. And turns out it's for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's nice to have. I have uh, a good bit of runway, probably a couple of years if I am frugal, but I don't really want to burn that money on groceries and rent and things like that if I sure. don't have to. I would rather think of that money as ammunition um, or, you know, like resources to spend on growing a business or making a a business better that's going to throw off its own revenue as opposed to, I bought some milk this week. Right. You want to deploy those funds and invest them into your company and not just pay the bills. Yeah. Not in my uh, fat tissue. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the first order of business is to hopefully kind of stop the bleeding, basically. Um, So my income is going to go to zero in not very long. Uh, and so I have a burn rate, and how do I cover that burn rate? And my first answer for that is on the pricing side, which is basically stolen right out of uh, Patrick McKenzie's productized service playbook. And so here's the pitch. If you are a B2B SaaS company, and you make somewhere around 30K and up uh, per month, you probably have a lot of high leverage work that could be done by running some pricing tests, like maybe changing the pricing, maybe... Uh, jiggering what your value metric is or what features yep. show up in what tiers. And you're probably, you probably have a hunch that you should do this and that there is low-hanging fruit there, but you probably haven't done it. Mm-hmm. I think most people set their pricing sort of emotionally uh, early mm-hmm. on, but like, what would I pay? And they go and they work on their product like crazy and they work on their marketing like crazy and the product gets better and the market, uh, the people signing up often change and the pricing stays the same. Yep. 
at the same time, I think so. Like, I think there's low hanging fruit there in general, and also it's such an effective lever. Like, it works really mm -hmm. well when you do at, go after that low hanging fruit, which has basically been like my trick for the last like year and a half or two years has mostly just been doing that, and it's works pretty well for us. Yep. So my pitch is your B2B SaaS app needs a part-time chief revenue officer. And that person's job is to own the pricing page because mm -hmm. technically probably the CEO owns the pricing page, which means that no one owns it because the CEO is focused on product or team or keeping the lights on or a million other things. Yep. And so my job as your part-time CRO is to make sure that we are continuously running pricing tests and talking to customers and coming up with buyer personas and trying different packaging and different numbers and uh, running split tests basically to say, look, here is the current pricing page. Based on my research and my knowledge and some black magic gut feel, uh, here's the new mm -hmm. one. And uh, over the last two months, uh, here was the incremental difference in MRR added. And if we took that out over a year, here's your ROI on paying me. Yeah, I think that's really compelling because it is the, the ROI is so clear. You know, it can mm -hmm. be computed. It's not like, yeah, we've made your product incrementally better. Yeah. It's like, well, how do you actually measure that? You know, this is actually measurable. Yes. And you can point to prior instances of you doing this with things you've worked on where you can, you know, give actual percentage increases in revenue or whatever. And yep. uh, exactly. Yeah. Like, see that spike in the graph right there? Like, that's that's me doing this thing. Like, and it's, yep. it's right there. You can see we went from X to 3X or 2X or whatever. And it's crazy. There's examples like this out there, like like GitHub, I think, raised their prices or redid their pricing model maybe a year, year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And like, so in their basically first eight years of existence, they had like a $7 plan because that's mm -hmm. what they came up with, you know, on the first week of breaking ground on the code base. You know, mm -hmm. it was like crazy how long they stuck with that. Totally. And it was just like, yeah, we, we've been meaning to change that, but... You know, they right. got to a massive size and still didn't change it. So. Totally. And if and if you're a runaway success like GitHub, that's probably fine. But sure. if you're if you're not, and a ten percent or a twenty percent difference in MRR could be the difference between profitability and not, like yep. that's that becomes a much more critical thing. Exactly. So my theory is that there's a market there, and that I can do a good job and service that market and prove ROI, like you said, like it's right in the revenue path, which I love about yep. it. It's like, yep. If this does or doesn't work, we will know exactly by how much. Mm -hmm. And I can give you a report every month that says, here's your ROI so far, and here's your ROI expected over the year. So that's what I'm going to start with. What have you done so far to do like early validation of that hypothesis? So I've, I've just been talking to a bunch of SaaS company CEOs, um, mm -hmm. friends of mine that I know, um, and just pitching a lot of people on that idea. And so far, response has been really good. Great. No one has said that they don't think it's a good idea, although maybe that doesn't happen with ideas when you pitch them to people. Yeah. Um, I've run it by a lot of people, and, and the response is generally pretty positive. So a number of people have said, that sounds great. Like, I want to put money in the budget for this, and let's talk in three months. Mm -hmm. um, I have one verbal yes from someone I've talked to, which is definitely not a signed yes, but it's you know a good sign, positive indicator. Right. So, yeah. So, it's it's early days. I would say this is very much not a validated idea, but I th mm -hmm. it's, it's showing early signs of life, early signs mm -hmm. of life. Um, and the good news is, like, it doesn't... This doesn't have to work. If that part, if, if this doesn't work, it's it's okay. The goal of this is, I think I'm going to enjoy it. Like yeah. I, I would love to work with the microconf crowd. I would love to, f to find a way to have those people be customers and to like get in, into their business and, and learn more about it and, and have a positive impact on that. Yep. And so I, I'm hoping it works. And I think if it does, I will like it. But I don't suspect it's going to be a long, long-term thing. Mm -hmm. but, but again, so many hand-wavy variables here. Um, sure. But the, the point is, if it, if it didn't work at all, that would be okay. 
because the the real point i think is i think is probably is the phase two idea which is the vim thing mm-hmm. do you want to hear about the vim thing i do okay. yeah so my theory on the vim thing is that there are a lot of people that are professional developers that want to learn vim and they are either intimidated or they, they are concerned about how much productivity hit they will take to do mm-hmm. it so they're a professional developer. They want to learn Vim. They are actually convinced of its benefits, probably, let's say, uh, but they can't afford to be unproductive for three weeks at work. Uh, That's learn. pretty much me, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. Perfect. We'll call it, this is a, our first uh, customer validation call then. Or not the Carry first, but, on. but yeah. <laughs> I have you so far. Good, good. And also, I think, by the way, some of those people have tried already and failed. Mm-hmm. So they gave it a shot and, and it didn't work. And so I think there's a market opportunity there because I hear from a lot of people that either want to do it but can't afford the productivity hit or tried to do it and could not handle the productivity hit or got stuck in some way. Yep. And mm-hmm. to me, there seems like a gap in the market there. And so my plan is to create a Vim course where let's say it's a month. Mm-hmm. The first week is setup and learning the basics of Vim. So mm-hmm. there's actually a fair amount to getting a Vim set up and configured. What plugins do you use? Which plugins should you not use? Should you use Janus? Mm-hmm. By the way, no, you shouldn't use Janus. Um, what needs to be in your VimRC? Should you, should you use someone else's VimRC? By the way, no, you shouldn't. You mm-hmm. should do, use your own, uh, but make it really minimal. So there's a lot, of, a lot of ways you can go wrong, I think, before you've even started learning. Yep. Then you need to learn the rudiments, like how do you open a file? How do you edit a line? How do you get basic things done? Uh, so f- say that's the first week. Maybe it's the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Where the rubber meets the road is when you actually start using it at work when you have to get work done and Vim is your editor. And so my plan is for that phase uh, to offer live support in a Slack room Mm. to people Mm -hmm. during business hours. Because I've chatted with a lot of people that that, that failed to learn. And what almost always happens is they say, I knew how to do something in Sublime or Atom and I wanted to do it in Vim and I couldn't figure it out. So I Googled it and I didn't find the answer in the first couple minutes. And so I said, screw it. And I went back to my old editor. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is if you keep people from getting stuck and you help them learn how to help themselves too along the way, you will maintain their progress and they will stay using it and they'll get through that painful part. And so that productivity hit can be way, way, way less. Yeah. So my theory is with like a good prep before you try to use it at work, we make sure you know what you're doing roughly. And then when you are at work, you have like immediate support to get you unstuck when you are then we can take that success rate and like triple it. Mm. Yeah, that's really compelling because that's my biggest, we talked about it before on the show, but like that's my biggest concern is like my time is valuable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anytime I spend fiddling around or trying to, I mean, the worst is trying to Google a command for something because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's like colons and right. characters that are probably being, you know, escaped by Google or ignored or something. So it's like, right. yeah, that's the trickiest part. So. Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad it sounds compelling. I didn't, I didn't realize you might be in my target market. I mean, perhaps. I mean, the, I, I guess my biggest objection would be that I think I, think I know the benefits of Vim. And mm-hmm. I, I'm beginning to become convinced that, you know, maybe not lifting my keys off my keyboard is going to actually 
save mm. me time and mm-hmm. help me be more productive. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure I'm like fully over the fence. I was totally. I just happened to be at a meetup the other day and there were some Emacs users in the room and they're like, you know, show of hands who uses what editor. And then even some of the Emacs users were saying like, yeah, I only use it because I've been using it for 20 years. But if you're like just learning an editor, like there's no reason to. So I guess that's the and like a couple people in the room agreed that like, yeah, there's no reason to use an older editor if you're just learning one from scratch. And mm. I thought that was a there, like there's not much meat to that argument because it's like if you dig into the why, I mean, you can start getting into the benefits of, you know, a console editor versus a, a GUI editor. So that's a reasonable objection. My theory mm-hmm. is that there are already a number of people that are, are convinced and I can yeah. kind of start there. And so I think yeah. in the beginning, I will focus less on convincing people that Vim is great and rely on the fact that it already has some cachet and reputation among people, r- rightfully so, I think. But longer term, yeah. I, I think I'm going to have to convince people like you that are on the fence. And so I have an interesting idea for that. And again, I'm talking like a thing that might be months away. So who knows if this will ever happen. But here's here's my sure. thought is yep. I want to prove that Vim is faster because I'm pretty damn convinced it's faster. Mm-hmm. And so my I have an idea for a series of videos where I basically go head to head with users Ooh. of other editors. I like it. And it's like, here's some Ruby code. First one to make it look like this Ruby code or refactor it in this way wins. And we both yeah. record our screens and we and, and then I can sort of do a post-game analysis of like, okay, here's where you lost a couple seconds by taking your hands off the keyboard to move over to the mouse to click this thing. And mm-hmm. here's how modal editing uh, helped me get through this section faster, things like that. Mm-hmm. So would you do that live? Would you like go on, was it like Twitch or something where you can like, <laughs> no, I don't think I was, I was like picturing, you know, stream like, stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. I was picturing like, you know, edited, edited versions and that way I can cheat and speed it up in, in post and make it look way better. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I, I think I actually can like put my money where my mouth is basically yeah. and show people that Vim is, is really great. It, it's very fast. Mm. And that by using a non-modal editor, you are probably costing yourself like somewhat substantial time. I like it. Thanks. So those are the those are the two ideas, um, and that is what I'm going to be focusing on over the next handful of whatever time. Nice. So I had I had a few questions to throw at you. One yeah. of them being, what are you most excited to learn through this process? Because obviously you've learned a lot at mm-hmm. Botbot, getting to run products and you know at least play the founder role of mm-hmm. products. So mm-hmm. what are you what are you most excited to learn? Uh, how to get health insurance. Ah, <laughs> no, very tactical. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like I have been able to use the Thoughtbot brand and aud- existing audience as a bit of a crutch, honestly. Mm. So I would mm-hmm. say that my marketing skills are honestly probably pretty weak, or they're the, probably the weakest of my skills. Mm-hmm. And I have some audience now, but the, the I think a lot of the success behind Thoughtbot's products are that we just have been doing insane amounts of effectively content marketing for 12 years and yeah, doing great work in there. Yeah, big, big flywheel. Uh, and so I'm curious, I'm, I'm interested and curious and excited to see, can I do that when I don't have that advantage? Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. That's that's Where one thing. Real. The other, the, yeah, and I'm going to flip that question too, which is like, what am I worried about? Because why not? Let's focus on the negative for a second. That was actually my next question is what scares <laughs> you the most? Okay, yeah. Um, the thing that scares me the most honestly is and i feel like very lucky to say this is it's not the like the financial success because at the end of the day my safety nets are very strong yeah i can get a job i think that's always right highly employable like even if savings were to go away exactly and i wouldn't i I, and i would get a job before i even like depleted the savings all the way you know like i wouldn't want to get down to the wire so i'm not like i'm not worried about myself financially 
I'm honestly sure. more worried about myself socially, uh, like mm. interpersonally. Mm. So I'm very extroverted and mm -hmm. I like working on things with people. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being a solopreneur does not really appeal. Yeah. And so both those businesses are probably solo efforts, more or less. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think I've been having like a phase three in my head, which is now like hand waves on top of hand waves on top of hand waves. Like who do, I, I can't even pretend I can commit to this or like that's even a full, fully formed plan. But I'm what sure. I'm kind of hoping is that by running a couple businesses myself, and assuming the um, CRO thing works out, seeing a lot of other people's businesses, I'm hoping I'm going to keep my eyes open because I would love to get back into SaaS. I'm sort of happiest in that space. Mm -hmm. So get back into a thing where I'm writing, yeah. probably writing code, maybe, maybe not writing code directly, but you know, running a subscription revenue business and yep. hopefully hiring people, like building a team. So I think, my dream, yeah. I think my dream scenario is come across an idea that looks good, validate it, start building it, prove it out, maybe raise a tiny bit of money and hire my awesome friends. Yeah, I think that's a solid plan. And I think it's wise to not necessarily jump straight to SaaS. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels like it feels like in the community, especially like that's uh, especially in the last few years, a lot of folks in the microconf community and stuff have been kind of putting SaaS up on a pedestal like that is yeah. the, the pinnacle of businesses to achieve. But then there's also the other side of it where that that famous Gail Goodman talk, the long, slow SaaS ramp of death, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you know, things growth can be tough. And you look at you look at these other types of businesses where it's whether it's productized consulting or some kind of info product or course or something like that. And you can get to sustainable revenue in months. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great classic stair-stepping approach plan that mm. you're taking. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's straight out of the Rob Walling stair-step yeah. uh, playbook. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I actually did a call with Rob to like sort of run him through my plan, and he was yep. like, "Yep, that stair step. It, yeah, it sounds about right." And he's like, "I'm not saying that just because I'm like Mr. Stair Step, but like this is kind of how I go after this." He's like, "Don't don't yeah. start with the SaaS." Yep. So yeah, I f I think it's kind of like a nice way of de-risking it. Mm -hmm. Do you have plans for combating the the loneliness of right. solo foundership in the next year? I do. I have a it's a, a couple things. Uh, so one is uh, I'm actually going to be going to Hong Kong for a little bit. So by pure coincidence, a really good friend of mine uh, quit his job to start mm -hmm. building his own thing as well. Mm -hmm. And we're very close. Uh, and he was like, hey, man, like, uh, as of this date, I am now unemployed and working on my own thing. And I was like, you're kidding, because like, <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to probably spend about a month in Hong Kong with my, my friend, like in a co-working space together, just like cranking on stuff. Nice. Because I think both those businesses that I've said so far, I need to build and like work on building an audience around. Like I need some content, like pillar pieces of content that prove I'm an expert in those things and a decent mailing list and things like that. Yep. So I think I have a lot of writing ahead of me and mm. I can do that anywhere. And doing it with my best friend in a fun foreign place sounds like taking advantage of that whole like work from anywhere, you know, internet entrepreneur thing. Oh, absolutely. And helps yep. combat that loneliness thing. So I have an answer for one month yep. of the next <laughs> of the next year. There you go. Uh, in general, though, I'm just going to try to be really aware of it and do things to, to try to fix it. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to be touring co-working spaces in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for... It's funny. Like, if you look at reviews for co-working spaces, they always talk about like conference rooms, Wi-Fi, staff friendliness, and snacks. And I'm, yep. just, look, I'm just like control effing for the word community. Because right. I'm not looking for a, an office space. I'm looking for other people that are also working on interesting things and want mm -hmm. to be friends. And yeah. want to get lunch and want to, you know, talk about stuff and whiteboard things occasionally and whatnot. 
Yep. So I'm trying to say yes to all kinds of invitations and reach out to my network and schedule calls with people and join a mastermind and like just set up a lot of social support, basically. Yeah. Nice. Sounds like a good plan, man. Yeah. We'll see. That is the honestly the part I'm most worried about. So I'm I'm hoping I can kind of address it. And but an interesting thing is I, I sort of ended up isolated a bit here at Thoughtbot already. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the team sort of shrunk and I'm working with people that are mostly remote these days and mm-hmm. I've been chatting with my like coworkers, fellow Thoughtbotters at like lunch yeah. and like a one-on-one once a week. But I actually am kind of already dealing with that isolation now. Hmm. And honestly, I think that's one of the things that pushed me in the direction of making this move was like, yeah, the isolation sounds like not my jam, but I'm kind of already paying the isolation tax. Yeah. And so why don't I try doing this myself if I'm going to do it anyway? Right. So yeah. I want to keep talking about that. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I'm, I'm co-hosting this podcast with this uh, this guy named Derek. So that hope, that'll be like another one of those social Who's touch that points. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this guy. He's really tall, though, so I have to be friends with him. <laughs> I can I can rival you on height, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm only friends with people that are pretty close to the tall side. There's a joke about the drip team too, because we're a we're we're a tall bunch that uh, there's like a six foot height requirement to join the team. Mm, interesting. <laughs> may or may not be true. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Almost certainly illegal. Be careful what you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier writing code, and yeah. I was curious to find out what your how you see your relationship with code changing yeah. in this next phase yeah i don't uh, so like I, I probably shouldn't write any code f- yeah. for for these upcoming like the the first two things i'm talking about mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna actually I'm, I'm doing it. i'm going deep here's here's my thought so i i don't know i can't decide so let's say i did have some success with those first two businesses and also came up with an idea for a SaaS, uh and yep. it was time to like actually like break ground i think it's easy to say like you should be the ceo now you got to give up the code thing yep. hire someone great for that and you know, just accept that that time is behind you, but yep. that just sounds kind of sh- crappy. Yeah, like I agree. My favorite, like nothing puts me in a flow state like writing code. Yeah, and so the idea of doing that just doesn't. I feel like I'd be building myself a job I wouldn't want. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I share your sentiment. You know, in trying to picture, like, all right, down the line, if I'm doing another thing, mm-hmm. do I want to be? Because this is the classic transition that a lot of folks make, right? Where mm-hmm. you you start out, you're writing your own stuff, and then you graduate to being the marketer and the business person and not touching code. Yeah, and totally valid path, right? But l- like you, I, I get a lot of joy out of the creative aspect of writing code. And I know you can be creative in other areas. Like you can think of a of a well executed marketing campaign as creation, and it definitely is, mm-hmm. but it varies person to person on whether that's actually going to give you the rush that you need, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And my hypothesis is that it is possible to be a CEO or a person running the business who also has their hands a little bit dirty, at least in actual product. Yeah. And I, I surely hope that that's the case because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's Same. kind of what I picture for my future, you know? Yeah. And I think it's like, it's really handy to be able to write your MVP yourself. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a big advantage and iterate quickly yourself, you know, like like you're talking to the customers and then you can just go right make those changes like that's powerful. Yeah, there's very little distance between, you know, the one side of your brain that's taking in the information and the other side that's writing the code. And yeah. it's it's difficult. I mean, it's not impossible, obviously, but it's difficult to get that level of efficiency mm-hmm. when you from day one, you're trying to transfer knowledge between a, a whole team. You yeah. Know? So it's interesting. Like I it's funny because I also don't want to just be technical. Sure. Like, I don't think I would want to be someone else's technical co-founder and just like where my part of the business is just the code and the product. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's not right either. 
Yeah. But I guess that's, I think that's the beauty, honestly, of being in charge is that yeah. you get to decide like I'm 40% development and 60% the rest or something. I, I think maybe that's like a recipe yeah. for disaster. I don't know, but that's know. sort of where I see myself. The fun thing about my role at Drip from basically the beginning is, um, you know, I definitely did start out as like, I'm just writing the code, you know, and that's, that's mainly what I'm doing. And then as time has gone on and the product has developed, you know, Rob and I work really great together on product decisions. And I never probably would have labeled myself a few years ago as like a product visionary or whatever, but like, I really do feel like a lot of the value I add to the company in general is kind of thinking about product and where, what direction to take it, what features to add, what things to not add. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily an engineering role. You know, so it just so happens that I do engineering and also do the product thing. You right. Know? Yeah. And I think if it was purely engineering and I wasn't doing any of the product thinking, I wouldn't be fulfilled. Right. Yeah. Same. So for sure. You may find that like, oh, I'm actually doing product. And without that part of it, if I was purely just writing code, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not all there. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of like your position is roughly the right mix. I, yeah. I think I would want to be even probably a little bit less on the like marketing side of things and yeah I, i'm not sure whether what the right balance of things is yeah but code needs to be in there product needs to be in there marketing probably not sure but i that's yeah. something i've been thinking about a lot lately is like do i have to give this up i hope not i don't really want to yeah i think i think you can like so natalie nagel i think is how you're saying her mm-hmm. last name who was on this podcast once and ages ago by the way, gave a talk at MicroConf and she put up a slide at one point, which is like, what kind of business do you want to run? And there were like 12 questions on there. And she was like, make sure you think about these things. And they were good questions and I liked them. And she sort of stressed the point that a lot of these things are variables. You don't have to build a company the way that someone tells you you do. There's no one right way to do it. Totally. And so like, there's probably a strong case to be made for like, don't write code. You're the CEO. But I think there's also a strong case to be made for like, man, if you can also write code, that's a big advantage. And you can translate that feedback directly into things. And you can run a development team uh, really well because you're still technical and you haven't gotten out of touch yet. And yep. I think there's a legit path in there somewhere that, that satisfies me. I do too. I do too. I think there are companies that have a certain DNA in them. You know, and it's a you know, a company that's started by marketers is going to probably have a really strong marketing DNA and may their weakest spot might be in product development mm-hmm. or engineering. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the flip side is true, too, where you could have a product whose DNA is primarily product driven, engineering driven. Right. And has learned the skill of being able to market that product. Yeah. And, and both could work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So it's a new chapter. I'm yeah. pretty excited. By the way, if uh, if you know somebody or you are somebody that thinks that part-time CRO sounds good, you should email me, ben at benorenstein.com. Um, boom. Boom. That's uh, called marketing right there. <laughs> if you are somebody that might be interested in that Vim course, if you go to vimuniversity.com, there'll Ooh. be a little thing where you can fill out, or there, there will be by the time you hear this. Nice domain. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's also vim.university, which I thought about buying. Mm-hmm. Not sure. I, I think I like Vim Univers- I like the dot com. It's so it's so uh, legit. It is. Yeah. The uh, yeah. I feel like the uh, the alternative extensions are getting more and more mainstream. Give it yeah. another maybe year or so. You know. Sure. Yeah. Vim Guru. Vim Guru. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone suggested Vim Kitchen, which I also really like. Like the Vim Kitchen. I think that's not, that's like very playful and approachable. Yeah. Like, like come to the Vim Kitchen the and we'll use the cookbooks. And yeah, the, we'll mix yeah. up a little something. There you go. Um, but I, no, but it, Vim University is what I'm going with for now. So. 
I like it. If you head there, there'll be a little form you can drop an email, and I'll tell you when when this thing is ready and what's going on, and also share like my process. My, I, I want to be working in the open a lot during this, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, expect a lot of me <laughs> in the interactions. Mm-hmm. But there's more change in the air, uh, mm-hmm. which affects you and me. Which is yeah. this is a Thoughtbot podcast, and uh, you don't work for Thoughtbot, and uh, <laughs> in eight days I won't work for Thoughtbot either, and so. After 259, 239 episodes, I'm retiring as host of Giant Robots. Oof. Yeah. It's heavy stuff. It is heavy stuff. I, it's been an amazing journey, as they say. Yep. I never dreamed I would do hundreds of these when I started it. I remember Chad asking me and was like, just pitching me. And I was like, yeah, this sounds good. Let's try four and see yep. how it goes. Uh, and here we are like five years later. Uh, and that's kind of amazing. I think at one point you remarked to me that this is perhaps the thing you've done for the longest yeah. in your life. Yeah, right? I would say other than like programming and singing, I think this is like my yeah. longest hobby or not hobby, yeah. but you know, activity. So next week I'm going to be joined on the podcast by Chad and Chad is going to be taking over as host and we're going to have a lot more details about what the podcast will look like, uh, but it'll be different uh, and it won't be you and me actually. Yep. But if you are interested in continuing to follow the Ben and Derek saga, uh, which I think is is about to get a little more interesting, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I are spinning up our own podcast. Yes, indeed. And uh, we don't know what that is yet. <laughs> because, uh, uh, Lots of TBD being thrown there's, around. There's a whole lot of TBD in this episode, but we wanted to. I wanted to get the information out there, such as it is. Yep. And so our plan for this next week is to come up with a name and a website and all that. Uh, so when I'm on my final episode with Chad, which is the next one that you will hear, I will be able to point you to the new podcast or a, a new podcast, uh, the one that I, Derek and I will be on uh, and yep. also hand over the reins to Chad and hand him the baby and let him take the wheel and go. Another metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> a good mix there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel a little emotional, honestly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's understandable. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I would, I would love it if, if people continue to listen uh, and I would I'd love to stay in touch with all of you. As would I. And I want to say a public thank you Ben, for inviting me on this podcast back in August, I think, of last year. Has it been? Wow, it's been just about a year. That's crazy. Yeah. You're welcome. I'm glad you yeah. did. It's like, I think you were a, a tremendous addition to this. And it, not all the 239 episodes were the same amount of fun. Uh, yep. The ones with you were a lot of fun. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I've definitely, I, I feel like I've come out of my shell a bit in, yes. and gotten outside of my comfort zone, which is, I guess part of what you're doing in your next uh next phase here so yeah so let's let's keep doing it and talking and uh next one we'll let you know where where you can find that yeah awesome wow so much so much news so much change yeah but and in case you don't make the transition and don't want to subscribe to another podcast you're like no i'm into giant robots as a url and that's the only thing i'm interested in thank you to all of you uh i've been humbled by the response to the podcast and how many people say nice things on Twitter and in person and mm-hmm. how funny it is to have people recognize my voice and uh, have us laugh about that. And Are you that guy from Giant Robots podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's been awesome. And like people are so nice to me on the internet, which is crazy. Like yeah. People say so many nice things and, and they usually are saying nice things about this podcast. And so thank you so much to everybody who has listened over the years. It has honestly been a pleasure and an honor to be in your earbuds each week. Indeed. I think that's where we should wrap it up. Let's wrap it. Um, 
thanks for being on <laughs> this podcast with me. <laughs> it's the last one with Ben and Derek. Okay, yeah. All right, I can handle this. I know it's it's hard to uh, yeah. It's hard to sign off, but it I'm, is. But I'm going to do it, and yep. we're going to look towards uh, new pastures as well. To be continued. Dot dot dot. TBD, and I'll be <laughs> talking to all of you one last time next week, and I'm looking forward to that. So. Today's show was produced by So Tom, and thanks for all the fish, Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 239. Thank you so much for listening.